Hello, that's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Lightweight True Crime. Classic cups that don't clink. Um, um, let me tell you a little so bit about what we're drinking. Yeah. So I brought a bottle of wine that I can't pronounce, but the uh, the company PRP Wine, their nickname for it is Chevy Red. You can Google PRP Wine. It is a wine company that some of my friends do side hustles for. Um, and right now, Ryan and Emily's cat is trying to gnaw on my yoga pants. I'm very allergic to this cat, so I can only assume that it wants me to die. Um, But it is a French red blend that is the best wine I've ever tasted in my life. So shout out to PRP. And that is what we're drinking. Uh, That's what's first up tonight. Yeah. And this is the podcast where two girls share a drink and a story. Yeah. And we've got some stories for you. We do have some stories to tell you. Uh, it is important to talk about you're the mastermind behind this that we recently launched on Apple Podcasts. Yes, we did. In like today, as we're talking, we recently launched. But if you're listening to this like three weeks ago, sure. we got an Apple podcast. But if you're listening to us on Apple, you can go ahead and rate, review, subscribe. We've been on if you Sp- like it. <laughs> Excuse me. We've been on Spotify since we launched initially yes. at the beginning of the month, but we are now on Apple. We're Podcasts. Not on Apple. It takes a lot longer. Yeah, for Apple to approve you. Spotify, you're just like you have something to say. Put it up here. <laughs> Apple's like we gotta know what you're saying. Well, thank you for all the hard work you put into that. Um, also, like um, speaking of highlights and new developments here at Lightweight True Crime, what exciting thing happened this week, M, on our Instagram, which is at Oh my God, LW True Crime. Right. What's uh, it's lightweight true crime. At lightweight true crime. Yeah. Yeah. What our, our our Gmail is lw true crime at Gmail. Um. So we posted a picture from a couple episodes back where we were drinking that nineteen wa- nineteen crimes wine, the mm-hmm. nineteen wines crime. Um. And Tara Newell commented on our posts. Who's Tara Newell? Um. She's just this person who um you know was somehow related to somebody in connection to dirty john you mean she's the daughter of connie britain not connie britain not connie britain i wish um, i mean played like, her in the bravo series yeah. which is now available on netflix tara newell is the yeah. daughter that dirty john targeted and that yes. she fought off yes and that real life person, the real life person not the actress that plays her the actual the actual hero. tara newell commented on our picture and said she that really she liked did. that wine too she really did and I had a fangirl moment. Uh, we're still having fangirl moments. Right. I was freaking out. I was like, is no this one real? believed me when I told them that she I commented. Know. And I was like, no, this is the real deal. Which like, if you've listened to Dirty John or you've watched it, um, their family goes to Mariners. My brother works there. We're from Orange County. You're basically twins. I know. We have so much in common. Amazing. We both like animals. You both like wine. We both like wine. You like true crime. She's been involved she's, in yeah. true crime. Who can say if she likes it? Because that's, you know, it's yeah. really personal. I'm sure it's traumatized her. But, but that's really phenomenal. Yeah. So, yes, please follow us at Lightweight True Crime so you can see all the celebrities that will be popping up in our mentions, undoubtedly. Yes, of course. So, for sure. Um, I think that's uh, what well, we have so. for housekeeping. 
Emily, you are up yeah. first this week. Yeah, I just Tell realized me. my computer is totally open. But Oh, I haven't been reading anything. Oh, okay. No, I can't my see My computer it was like open and facing Sarah. Nope, haven't seen it. All right, so today I'm going to talk about the not so well-known story of Amanda Knox. <laughs> ah yes ah yes the Have niche you? story yes. that very few people know yeah about. i don't think okay. a lot of people know about it so let me tell you so amanda knox in 2007 was studying abroad she was at washington state but she was studying abroad in perugia italy totally didn't say that right um i know no italian um so she was living there in a house with a few other girls um, one of which was Meredith Kircher, and she was also on a study abroad program, but she was British, so she was from the University of Leeds. You have something to say, Ryan? I don't know. Well, of course he oh, doesn't know who Amanda, Amanda Knox doesn't is. Amanda doesn't know who. He's been living under a rock. Ryan doesn't know who Amanda Knox is. Well, it, yeah. it, it will ring a bell as we keep going. Okay. So, on November 2nd, 2007, Amanda came home from spending the night at her boyfriend's house, which they had been dating for like five days they had known each other for five days so she comes home and she sees that meredith's door is locked doesn't really think much of it there's some blood in the bathroom sink but she doesn't think much of that either maybe somebody cut their finger cut themselves self-shaving or whatever not that big of a deal but the thing that kind of throws her off is she looks over and there's some poop in the toilet well that's disgusting somebody pooped and did not flush they pooped and ran (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. That was funny. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so she goes looking around. She goes into Meredith's room and she's dead. So Meredith. You really buried. You really just like glossed over that point. Yeah. There. She goes into so, Meredith's room and she's dead. And moving on. So Meredith had been undressed and wrapped in her bedding and her throat had been slit. Ugh. Ryan is horrified. Doesn't Ryan know that there's a lot of th- I know. throats being cut in in the crime. world yeah in the world especially in true crime yeah it's kind of our thing anyway ryan's mad about it um so the autopsy showed that meredith had male dna inside of her but it wasn't clear if it was rape or it was consensual sex um and so the police and media start becoming suspicious of amanda because she's not acting as sad as they think that she should be acting which like now we know everybody grieves differently but also like she had just met this girl. It's not like she was a lifelong friend. Like, of course, it's still going to be sad. Also, trauma manifests differently. Exactly. Like, she found a dead body. Like, your body could be, like, going into shock. And right. You yeah, you're not. I, yeah, I even wrote here in my notes that, like, she was probably only feeling shock. She probably wasn't feeling, like, sad or anything yet. She was probably like, what the heck? How is this girl that, like, I just met? Now she's dead. Um, So everyone was starting to get suspicious of her because they thought she was acting strange. Um, And a few days after the murder, um, obviously Amanda wasn't allowed in her house because it was a crime scene. But they brought her back in to look through the kitchen to see if any of their knives were missing. And she said at that point is when she like realized what was happening. That like that her friend, her roommate was murdered and she was having to help solve the murder. And so... She starts like crying hysterically. She's breaking down. She's basically like unresponsive. And now people are thinking that she's acting too sad. Yeah. So lots of scrutiny. Yep. Over something that people, almost every person looking on has zero experience with. Right. So no one really knows how somebody is going to react. Um, 
And then on November 5th, um, the police bring Amanda's boyfriend in. Um, his name is Rafael Solacito. Solacito. I don't know. It sounded a bit Spanish. Rafael. Okay, Rafael. Yeah, I see two L's. Sure. And I think it's supposed to sound like a Y, but I don't know if that's the same in Italian. Why not? Um, okay, so they bring Rafael into the station for questioning, and they're pushing him really hard, and they're telling him that Amanda is a known liar she's like had a history of like tricking men they're telling him that like she's been sleeping around they're like calling her a slut and he like he's known amanda for 10 days so he's you know he's like no i she hasn't seemed like that to me but like obviously i've only known her for 10 days so they the police kind of like push him into a corner and get him to say that amanda had left at one point on the night of the first and came back at 1 a.m. So essentially they were getting him to poke a hole in her alibi. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, and so then once he admits that they bring Amanda in to talk to her and the police are like continuing to ask her the same questions like over and over and over again until they get the answers that they want. And they're like super intimidating. One officer even like hits her on the back of the head a couple times oh my gosh. to like say like, remember these things. And they're questioning her in Italian, I think. And she like from watching like videos of her and stuff can speak Italian, but it's not like her first language. And she's not like it's not like she like grew up also speaking Italian. It's something that she's like had to pick up as an adult, which is really hard. Um, So eventually she says that she could picture herself standing on the street outside of Raphael's apartment at night. And then she could picture like her front door open and then she could picture this guy named Patrick standing in a brown jacket with Meredith screaming. And so the police are telling her like, oh, you can picture those things because you were there. Um, When in reality, they were like feeding her this information and she like could use her imagination to like picture these things happening. I also don't like I get that people were like, she's not responding the way you'd expect. But even with that, my mind wouldn't go to girl roommate you know right yeah especially if there was there's male dna dna inside of her and that just seems like you would have you would start with meredith's like male intimates right right and not her foreign exchange student girl roommate yeah unless she has a history of violence which she didn't no it just seems like i i I don't understand the leap to that yeah like before coming to italy she was from seattle she was like shy she even said like she had to push herself to study abroad in italy because she felt like she had to push herself out of her comfort zone and it's not like okay yeah like women do commit murder like it's not like it's unheard of but it just doesn't seem likely like the first place you should go exactly because it's just it just doesn't happen at the same rate as male intimates yeah especially if there's signs of sexual sex. violence yeah. or even like consensual sexual yeah. activity beforehand because yeah. it could be consensual sex and then end in violence right yeah so the police kind of are like putting the image in her mind that she was there and they tell her like oh you were there when this happened but like you're blocking it out because it was traumatizing um and so they kind of get her to say that this patrick guy killed meredith and so they arrest Patrick, but he's got like a very solid alibi. Who's Patrick? I think it's her boss. Okay. So I think she worked at this bar and Patrick owned the bar. Okay. 
um, they kind of like go back and forth with like saying he's her boss and then saying that she had never met him in the Netflix documentary, um, which there's also a Lifetime movie with Hayden Panettiere, which oh is so good. Um, I think it that that came out like pretty close to the end of this. Um, so it came out lots of years ago. Um, so Patrick had a very solid alibi. So like you'd think that like the cops would be like, oh, okay, like maybe her story, you know, isn't true because she said this Patrick guy did it. Um, but they just kind of changed the story to like, okay, Amanda did it with her boyfriend, Raphael and another guy. So now we got to find this other guy. So they were like dead set on Amanda and her boyfriend being involved in this. For what motive? So they were trying to paint a picture of her as this like sex crazed, like 20 year old girl who like she's only 20. She's only 20. Wow. Right. So they have like they find pictures on social media that they post in like newspapers and online and everything. And the media is just they're able to like paint this picture of her as this like sex hungry woman who has like corrupted this innocent like shy Italian boy and their story is that um like Amanda and the boyfriend Raphael and some other guy were like basically having a threesome in like the open living area of this house <laughs> sure uh-huh and I mean I'm sure that happens yeah, but yeah, again, yeah unlikely yeah and Meredith came home and basically like scolded Amanda and like made her feel like humiliated. And so Amanda got mad. And so she killed her again. Yeah. Unlikely. Very unlikely. Yeah. So while they're like trying to figure out the story and whatever, Amanda's in custody and she is in Capone jail. Sure. I said that wrong. I don't even know why I'm trying. Um, and so when she's in jail, they do like a health screening and um, police come and they say that the blood tests came back and she has HIV. And so she starts to make a list of all the people that she slept with so she can try and like figure out who gave her HIV. And the media somehow gets hold of this list. <gasps> and so they use it to say, like, look at all these people that she slept with. Oh like, gosh. She's, yeah. Like slut shaming her into admitting right. she's a murderer. Which the police end up saying that they faked the HIV test. So she didn't have HIV. They used it to play mind games with her. My gosh. My throat is dry. I need some wine. You do need some wine. That is some next level nonsense. Like if that stuff happened in America. Well, I don't doubt that kind of stuff happens in America. You're right. But like if. Wow. If police were like messing with a white middle class female right would have gone she would speak to the manager about that right yeah exactly good lord so basically to bolster the the image they were trying to paint of her as a slut yeah they got her to make a list of everyone she's ever slept with and in the netflix documentary they have one of the reporters and he says like i was the first person to like be given this list and the guy who is doing the documentary asks him like how did you get this list? And he's like, I'm a reporter. I'm not going to tell you. Like, we don't ever tell our sources. And it's just like, wow. Crazy how, like, this guy, this reporter can, like, feel okay about, like, getting this information and, yeah. like, 
twisting somebody's and exploiting this yeah wow anyways so they find what they think is the murder weapon ryan is turning around and leaving us to watch basketball i don't blame him he has to listen to a lot of yeah for us yeah so they find what they think is the murder weapon so it's a knife that was in the house and it's got amanda's dna on the handle and meredith's dna on like the knife part um and then they also find a bra clasp so it's like been ripped off the bra they find it under a rug and it has Raphael's dna on it so they're like cool they did it because their dna is there which like my first thought is like okay amanda's probably used that knife to cut food also like Raphael has been in that house before like his dna is gonna be places and who says that the bra class belongs to yeah that's the part that yeah was also like because it could belong to amanda right and yeah could have been be anybody completely understandable yeah anyways um and the police also like find a bunch of fingerprints and so some of them obviously belong to amanda and Raphael because they're in the house but then they find a bunch that doesn't like match anybody who lives in the house so they run the fingerprints and they belong to this guy named Rudy Gooday. Rudy. We're going to call him Rudy. Um, so Rudy had a record of committing like burglaries and he lived in the area. Um, when they showed Amanda a picture, she was like, yeah, I've seen him. I don't know his name, but like he lives in the neighborhood. Um, and after Meredith was murdered, Rudy actually fled the country. So police had to get like an international arrest warrant and went out, arrested him, and brought him back. And he said that he had met Meredith on November 1st and then went over to her house on the 2nd to have sex with her. And when was she murdered? On the 2nd. Oh. Yeah. okay. Yes. So, and then he... She was murdered on Derek's birthday. Oh. Just saying. That's neither here nor there. What about Luke's birthday? Uh, Probably minutes after, which is his birthday. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, So, Rudy was there to have sex with Meredith he left the bedroom to go to the bathroom. He pooped, didn't flush because <laughs> <laughs> pooped and ran. Pooped and ran. So he <laughs> he didn't flush because he was distracted because he heard Meredith scream. Oh. And then when he came out of the bathroom, he saw a man running out of the house. So wow. this is his alibi that is that feels equally improbable that right? in the moments that you were going to the bathroom i was pooping when she got I, murdered listen, sir i was taking a giant dump at the time of the murder <laughs> yeah really didn't do it wow okay um and he even like they even had like records of him like telling his friends like no amanda wasn't in the house when this happened mm. um but somehow the police still like their story now is that like Amanda and Raphael and Rudy were going at it. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, and either Meredith came in and disapproved of it or they were trying to get Meredith to like be involved in it. And she was like cool with it for a while. And that's how she got DNA in her. But then like things went bad and somehow she died. Um, so um, they try Amanda and Raphael in one case and then Rudy separately. So Rudy gets found guilty and he's sentenced to 30 years in prison. But then I, what I. Their theory have, is that the three of them were in on it together. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what I kind of understood might be totally wrong is that like you automatically get an appeal like a year after your sentence or something in Italy. Okay. Um, I mean, that seems like a solid thing. Yeah. To be. Yeah. Thing, but. So after his appeal, his sentence is reduced to 16 years in prison. So like. In half. Basically, yeah more or less So, like how nuts is it that this guy like murdered somebody i mean allegedly yeah except that he was convicted of it so he murdered somebody and gets 16 years okay which is nuts um and then finally two years after meredith's murder so now we're in oh my gosh i totally did all this math wrong i put on here that we're in 2013 that's not two years after 2007 that's five years after 2000 oh my god okay yeah, it's fine. two years so 2009. So 2009. Amanda and Raphael are found guilty of Meredith's murder. So Amanda is sentenced to 26 years and Raphael is sentenced to 25 years. I could hold, barely hold my shit together as a 20 year old, yeah. a thousand miles away from my parents in my same country. Let alone, like yeah. I can't, I can't I know. imagine. And this is like going to Italy was like the first time that Amanda, like, went anywhere yeah. and did anything yeah like it she w studied abroad so that she could try and feel independent she like wanted to start being an adult and trying to understand another country's justice yeah. system in another language wow wow it's nuts okay so they're found guilty and then three years after the murder 2010 i put on here 2014 but that's wrong <laughs> amanda and Raphael appeal to have the dna tested independently so all the dna had been like tested by i want to say by the state but by but, but by the government yeah, yeah by the government um and so they want to have it tested by an independent source um and so that gets approved so the independent company um ultimately like just looking at all of the evidence and all of the like there's like videos of them walking through the crime scene and everything they're like the crime scene is not kept clean like there's a video of people touching things without gloves on like people are going in without like Did proper the government gear testing say that the dna inside of meredith was Raphael or like they didn't say okay. i think that it is rudy's dna oh, because okay. he even said like i was there to oh, right, have sex, sex with, with her. her okay but they're evaluating um, the videos from the crime scene and they're like none of this is good right because yeah right. because they're really just looking at amanda and Raphael's fingerprints and DNA. And they're like, they have videos of the people just like kind of tossing, like looking through Meredith's stuff and Amanda's stuff. And they're like, okay, they very well could have gotten Amanda's DNA on Meredith's stuff because they're touching everything without gloves and everything. So they go in and they test everything. Um, and 50 things that had Meredith's DNA on it were tested like together instead of like individually by the government wow. so um those 50 things this independent company is like you can't use any of that as evidence because it's all like contaminated um and so they look at the bra clasp and Raphael's dna is on it but also like three other people like they didn't say who it was but three other individuals dna was on it and it was found under a rug so they're like anybody could have touched yeah. this like if you were in the room your dna might have gotten on it um and then the knife amanda's dna was definitely on the handle 
But the DNA that they said was Meredith's was like such a small amount that they that they were like, there's no way you could identify this DNA as anybody's. Um, and if it had been the murder weapon, then her DNA would have been all over it, right? Right, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't have been able to like wipe it off. Right. Um, especially like you wouldn't be able to wipe off like just the knife and Amanda's DNA would still be on there. Um, and so I have this quote in here because I thought it was hilarious in this. So while the appeal is being processed, Trump says, I think the president should get involved. I think people should boycott Italy. His solution. This is long before he started running for president. Yep. Oh, I'm going to miss him when he's not around saying things. Not, I don't mean that in like a dying way. I don't want him to die, but I'm going to miss his commentary. Who's going to tell us to boycott countries? Who's going to grab us by the pussy? Definitely not respectable men. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, so I just threw that in there because I thought it was hilarious. No, that is, that's and f- I have, fantastic. Maybe I'll put it on our Instagram. I took screenshots <laughs> of him saying those things because he has the dumbest look on his face while he's saying it too because you can tell it's like everything you can tell it's like off the cuff plus i don't know why they were interviewing trump about this situation like weirdly he's been in a lot of things he's been in a lot of things and then when now that people like go through his past twitter account he's always like shitting on obama and so he's saying things like he's gonna start a war with iran like he said about obama like he's yeah. gonna start a war with iran to get reelected. and so people love to like comb through his past twitter yeah. to be like and look he's starting a war with iran um but i think that also we kind of missed his like heyday as a public figure because i think in the yeah. 90s like we were too little but like he was a much bigger deal but this is like in 2000 right whatever but and also getting off topic also, with the, um, I don't, the Exonerated the Five or whatever oh, they Central call Central Park them now, Five. The yeah, previous he had an yeah. opinion about the Central Park he was, Five, too. He wanted them to get the death penalty. He still does. Which yeah, is. Even though they've been exonerated by DNA. Yep. Listen, I love nothing Anyways. more than talking about Donald John Trump. So I'm really glad that we took this, yeah. this segue. But let's move um, on. But yes, I need to hear the end of the story. Okay. It's actually so, Ryan does because he doesn't know how this goes. I know. Yeah. So... I put in here in 2015, but it is definitely in 2011. Okay. Four years after the murder of Meredith Kircher, the court of Italy absolves Amanda and Raphael of the crimes because they did not commit it. Um, Because of the outside company that tested? Yeah. Who the outside company like ultimately like decided and like testified on that like there is no reliable DNA that they were there. Um, And so like, a lot of Italy was really upset by this decision because they had been, you know, given this story that Amanda was this sex crazed young woman who just like had no thought for anybody else. But like America had been given this story of like this, this like naive 20 year old has been stuck in an Italian prison for four years so they like show these clips of like people like really upset in Italy, but then like her coming home in America and people were like so relieved. Um, and she now lives in Seattle and she has the most perfect boy brows ever. <laughs> They're like. And listen, at the end of the day. So good. Isn't that what's important? It is. How many it years really did she spend in an Italian prison? Four years. Four wow. years growing out those brows. <laughs> 
I'm sure. I don't know how eyebrows work, but sure. I don't think they like grow well like that. Kind but of. But anyway, she's got great eyebrows. Good for her, man. Yeah. That is it's also like the misogyny of that is so fascinating to me that because you know you're either like the virgin or the whore right right and, and the fact that like sex crazed equals murderer like right so it doesn't sound like she was actually sex crazed but like let's say that she was for a second the the right. uh, the, the fact that like w- like i'm just i'm you know let's just talk about like some feminist theory here for a second the fact that like the patriarchy hates nothing more than like a sexually autonomous woman yeah or like a woman making sexual choices for herself that it equals something like murder probably a murderer yeah there's no way that a woman can like sex and if she does she's having orgies Mm -hmm. and murdering people and murdering murdering. (laughs) ryan just turned around yeah with a cup in his mouth that well done that's a very complicated story and you did a very good job of telling it um go watch that lifetime movie though i think it's lifetime and the netflix doc yeah the netflix doc is really good too but just hayden panettiere playing amanda knox is really good she does a really great job i really like hayden panettiere that is i'm just i had a hard enough time going away to college i can't imagine being in a foreign country and navigating that and i can't imagine being her parents i can't imagine any of it so did they did they determine that Rudy was the actual killer? Like, is yeah. he still in prison? He's still in prison. So he's he did it, but her and now her Italian boyfriend, who I'm sure is not her boyfriend anymore, it yeah was also he, released. Yeah, he said that he still loves her, and she that's sweet. And said weird. that she didn't because they didn't really feelings. know each other before. Like they I imagine knew each other like ten days before they got arrested. Like, I imagine that they're trauma bonded. Oh but, yeah, but yeah. she also like he. He was manipulated by the police. Oh, totally. Into tur- fake turning on her, you know? Totally. So, like, I think if it had been the other way around, if, like, she had, quote unquote, turned on him first, he might have been a little bit more like, nah, I don't trust you anymore. Yeah. And a lot of people mistake trauma bond as love. Love. And it's exactly. Not. It's different. Yep. Good job. Thank you. Well done. That's Amanda. Amanda Knox, heavy hitter. Ryan goes, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, Ryan. She got released. She's in Seattle now. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you. I mean, it. In it, it, you, what you just told us was like a modern true crime mm-hmm. classic. Yeah, you I'm, said this is old. I'm going to tell you like a historical classic that is oh, still nice. on, like, seared into the public consciousness. This is the story <laughs> of Lizzie Borden. I think I know this. Okay, you definitely know I mean, I, I know, know I know it, but I I thought I knew what it was going to be. Oh, okay. And, and so that is stuck in my mind, and I know that it's not right. Okay. So I leaned heavily on Wikipedia, as well as a Rolling Stone article oh, by yeah. Elizabeth Yuko. That is phenomenal. I relied heavily on Wikipedia and Netflix. And Netflix. Here, here. Okay. So Lizzie Borden, Elizabeth Borden, was born on July 19th. 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts to Sarah Borden and Andrew Borden. Her father, Andrew, uh, was a very successful businessman, but he was known for his frugality. Uh, For example, the Borden home lacked indoor plumbing and electricity, although that was a common accommodation for wealthy people at the time. So a lot of not wealthy people in 1860 still didn't have indoor plumbing or Uh electricity. But for their social class, it was odd 
that Got they it. didn't have it. What a weird thing to be known for. Frugality. Yeah. Like, yeah. Interesting. So, okay. So she's born in 1860. So Borden and her older sister, Emma, they had another sibling who died as a child. So for all intents and purposes, Lizzie and Emma are the Borden children. Uh, they had a relatively religious upbringing. They attended Central Congregational Church in Fall River. As a young woman, Lizzie was very involved in church activities. She taught Sunday school. Um, she was involved in Christian organizations such as the Christian Endeavor Society, uh, as well as contemporary social movements such as Women's Christian Temperance Union, which... Same. If, yeah, same. If you know your feminist history, that's also an early, like, that's what the first wave of feminism and the suffrage movement was born out of. But that's not what we're talking about right now. So when Lizzie was five, her mother, Sarah, passed away. Hmm. His father remarried a woman named Abby, who was lived in the town, was 30, had never been married. So in that era was a spinster. Right. Right. And had a chance to like be married. Yeah. Right. Um, so Abby and John raised Lizzie and her sister. Emma. Got it. The sisters reportedly did not like their stepmother at mm. all and as adults argued with their father over money issues because they suspected Abby it they suspected Abby is marrying their dad for his wealth and in the weeks leading up um, to his death they fought with him particularly about some real estate that he had given to Abby's relatives um, so uh -huh. not even his wife but his wife's relatives saying that that was what they were entitled yeah. to so no, no warm and fuzzies there. No. So in 1892, Lizzie was 32 years old, single, and still living with her father and stepmother. Whoa. Now, it's, I mean, in 1892, yeah. that's the only place a single 32-year-old right. lady is going to be. But, so that's the situation. Uh, Lizzie's uncle, her mother, like her biological mother's brother, brother, had spent the night, the evening of August 3rd, and on the morning of August 4th, uh, he had breakfast with Abby and John and went into town to do business. Shortly thereafter, Andrew, Lizzie's dad, went for his morning walk. And Abby, her stepmother, went upstairs to make the bed in the guest room where John had been That's staying. Got it. So when Andrew returned around 1030 in the morning, his key wouldn't open the door. Weird. Yeah, which was odd. So he knocked to get someone's attention to let him in. Their maid, who had been there all morning, went to unlock the door and finding it jammed, the reason why the key wouldn't Got open it. it, she swore under her breath. She would later testify that she heard Lizzie laughing immediately after she swore, that she didn't see her, but stated that the laughter was coming from the top of the stairs. Once the maid let John in, Lizzie came into the front room and had a conversation with her father and her dad asked where Abby was. She replied that a messenger had come to the house, bringing Abby a note saying that a friend of hers was sick and that she should come visit them. And dad's like, okay, which friend is sick? Lizzie said she didn't know. She just yeah. knew that that is what happened. So people go about their business. Um, and roughly an hour later, also an interesting thing to note, um, the, the family had been sick recently. They had thought that maybe um, they'd eaten like a, uh, a batch of stew that had gotten bad, gone bad, or like some of their milk that they, they had drank was spoiled. Yeah. Anyway. They so, like got food poisoning basically. Right. Or like, or, or they live in close quarters and it's, you know, they got a yeah, virus got flu, or whatever. maybe someone was trying to poison them. Who can say? Who knows? Right. It's just an interesting thing. Yeah, that yeah, people yeah, know. yeah. So the maid had gone upstairs to her quarters to lie down because everyone in the house had been like not yeah. feeling great. 
So roughly an hour after Andrea had come home, the maid heard Lizzie scream from downstairs, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. When she came downstairs, she found Andrew was slumped on a couch in the sitting room, struck what would be determined as 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyeballs had been split cleanly in two. What? And the reason that that's important is it suggested that he had been asleep when attacked. So taking a nap on the couch. Got it. Right? Because like you would flinch, you know, like if you, but if your eyes were asleep, if your eyes were asleep, (laughs) if your eyes were asleep as opposed to your entire body. Yeah. um, If you were asleep. Anyway. So his still. Man, I hope that killed him like instantly. instantly. Yeah. His still bleeding wound suggested that he had just been attacked. Uh, so the maid runs across the street to get the doctor who lived across from them, yeah. which is like, sweetie, he's dead. Yeah, but his I under- eye is in two. I, I understand the instinct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the police were summoned. So when the police arrived, they asked Lizzie where her stepmother was. And she's told the story about how she'd gotten this note and, you know, she yeah. was out. She also stated that she thought Abby had returned, maybe, and asked if someone could go upstairs and look for her. The maid originally was like, um, no, this guy just got murdered on the couch. I'm not going upstairs by myself. Yeah. Uh, But by that time, a neighbor had come over to sit Mm -hmm. with the family. And so this neighbor is like, I'll go with you. Let's go upstairs. Look for Abby. Um, Which is also like, do you think Abby wouldn't have heard all this commotion downstairs if she was upstairs? Right. But okay. Uh, So they were halfway up the stairs and their eyes were level with the floor when they looked into the guest room and saw Abby lying face down on the floor. Oh, no. The forensics of the day, it seems like a fancy word to use. So for eyes. So looking at things. So eyeballing it. Yeah. Indicate that Abby was first struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which cut her just above the ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, creating contusions on her nose and forehead. Her killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head, killing her. Now, the, the, the schoolyard, the, the children's, you know, like weird dark nursery room about uh-huh. this is like, Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her like mother 40 waxed when she saw what she had done, gave her mother 41. Have you not heard that? I've never heard this. Okay, That's how most people think of the Lizzie Borden case. I knew that one. But I would like oh to set, set the record that the, uh, her stepmother was given 17 direct hits and her father was struck 10 or 11 times. But like that's the famous weird, like dark, weird rhyme. I've never heard that one. OK, well, now, you know, also like the maid didn't hear any of this happen. Well, they're saying that the father was killed while he was taking a nap. So like he wouldn't have cried out. But wouldn't that still be like loud? I mean, maybe, maybe she should have heard it. I don't know. I've never been in this kind of situation before. So nor have I. So they find Abby. She's dead upstairs. And when the police searched the house, they found two hatchets in the basement, along with two axes and a hatchet head with a broken handle. The, The hatchet head, I think, with the broken handle was suspected as being the murder weapon as the break in the handle appeared fresh and the ash and dust on the head, unlike that on the other tools, appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look like it hadn't been used. So she like cleaned it off 
and then somehow put dust on it or whoever the murderer was yeah was you're trying right, to right, hide right. that it was the murder weapon so wanted to make it look like it had been sitting there for wow. quite some time so smart two days later the police officially informed lizzie that she was a suspect in the murder of her father and her stepmother and it did not take long for it to become a story that gripped the nation Lizzie's was one of the first trials in American history that both fueled and was fueled by major mass market newspapers and magazines. Whoa. Right. So like this was new territory for the American public and American media. So this is, of course, in the late 1800s and the finer details of the Borden murders were hazy from the beginning, partially due to the thousands of curious townspeople who visited the crime scene, unintentionally tampering with evidence. Yeah. Also, when an inquest was held, which I've deduced that an inquest was basically like a grand jury hearing today. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Presenting evidence to to say whether or not this person can be charged with this crime. So during the inquest, Lizzie's testimonies were inconsistent, something that her lawyers would later argue was because she had been prescribed morphine to help calm her nerves in the immediate aftermath of the death of her father and stepmother. So it's not looking good for the truth to come out regardless of what it is. Correct. So the grand jury, so they were killed in August. The grand jury began hearing evidence or the inquest, whatever, began hearing evidence on November 7th and Borden was indicted on December 2nd. But five days before the trial began, another axe murder occurred (sighs) in Fall River. What? What are the chances? The victim was named Bertha Manchester. And she was found hacked to death in her kitchen. The similarities between the Manchester and Borden's murders were striking. However, in 1894, a man named Jose Correa de Mello was convicted of Bertha's murder and was determined to have not been in the area of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. Just a very interesting thing that that would happen with the same M.O. Five Wait, days. So, yeah, so... The theory was that Lizzie killed her dad and her stepmom. And then a few days later. A few days before the trial. Oh, okay. My bad. So it only so been either a few way, months, though. Yeah. A few months later, a new guy shows up in town. Supposedly. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think that's weird. Interesting. Yeah. What, what like, are the odds? Maybe, maybe not. What a coincidence. Yeah. So a major piece of evidence that was discussed in court was the hatchet head found in the basement, which the prosecution argued was the murder weapon. They went, and this is the craziest part of this whole story to me. The prosecution went as far as to exhume John and Abby's bodies. Wow. Boil the flesh off of their skulls. Sorry, Ryan. Yeah, sorry, Ryan. (laughs) This is real, Ryan. Like, this is in a newspaper article. And they brought the skulls into the courtroom to try and show how the hatchet fit the wounds perfectly. Wow. Science, man. So reportedly the hatchet sort of fit, but it was not super convincing. If if the hatchet (laughs) doesn't fit, (laughs) you must acquit. Um, Also, like exhuming bodies back then was dudes with shovels. Boiling flesh that's off of skulls it's also reported that when the skulls of her mother or her stepmother and her father were brought into the court lizzie passed out which of course kind of like kind of like whether or not she did it which that might happen there was a lot of talk 
around Lizzie Borden, much like Amanda Knox. Yeah. Like, she's acting right. She's acting wrong. She's not acting this enough. She's yeah. this too much. So there's a yeah. lot of like, she's faking it. She's weird. She's off. Why can't women just like Li- act the way that men tell them to? Right. The world would be like, such a better don't, place. Don't think too hard. Yeah. Don't get, be hysterical. Honestly. Anyway. So it was not like it was weird and not super convincing. Additionally, while no bloody clothing was found at the scene, a friend of Lizzie's testified that days after the murder, she had witnessed Lizzie burning a dress on the kitchen stove. And Lizzie said that it had been ruined when she brushed against wet paint. The prosecution suggested that she was getting rid of the dress that she murdered Mm. her parents in. So, who can say? Lizzie Borden's presence at the home was also a point of dispute among the trial because according to the maid, she went to lay down around 10.58 in the morning and she left Lizzie with her father downstairs. Lizzie told several people that at this time, she had actually gone into the barn and was not in the house for 20 minutes or possibly a half an hour. But obviously there's no one who can corroborate that either way. The prosecution also pressed for Lizzie to produce the note she said her stepmother had received, summoning her to the bedside of a sick friend, but she couldn't, nor did anyone in the town or the Borden social circle come forward to say Saying, like, oh, Jane was, was sick, you know, yeah. like I sent the note or like, here's what happened. Got so that it. was also a big hole. Yeah. So the jury was sent to deliberate on June 20th, 1893. And after only an hour and a half of deliberation, the jury acquitted Borden of the murders. Because the hatchet didn't fit. (laughs) And also, there's a lot argued that they could not conceive of this wealthy Christian woman committing such a gruesome act in that time. Women can't do that kind of stuff. Listen, our arms are not very strong. Oh. So upon exiting the courthouse, she told reporters that she was the happiest woman in the world. No other suspects would ever be arrested or tried for this crime. In the over 100 years since this Holy murder, moly, you're right. Yeah, isn't that wild? <laughs> the Borden murders have become a modern mythology with the song that apparently I know and you and yeah. Ryan know. Um, comment on our Instagram, please. Tell me if you knew this song or not. Yeah. Um, Which also, you said this is like... 18 like 80s or something 1890s 1890s like in my mind anything in the 1800s was like oh it just happened last century but now it's you know two centuries ago it's crazy it's nuts sorry so dr jean kim who is a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at george washington george washington university argues that the Borden murders have remained in our social consciousness because they, quote, reflect a key moment in our modern public consciousness about the reality of violence in private families, even ones that seem outwardly affluent or normal. So this essentially, in other words, shook people. Yeah. And revealed that, like, just because you're wealthy or just because, you know, you're of good breeding or whatnot doesn't mean that this doesn't happen. Yeah. Dr. Kim cites other cases that captured the public's attention, including Jack the Ripper, which highlighted, quote, the underbelly of prostitution and the contrast between their social class and their sometimes surprisingly well-to-do customers. And the O.J. Simpson case, which drew attention to issues of racial perceptions of the police, the invulnerability of celebrity and domestic violence, even in a wealthy household, end quote. 
So there is a podcast series called the Lizzie Borden podcast that a man named Richard Barron's hosts. And he says, I think we are all so fascinated by this case to this day, largely because it has all the elements of a Greek tragedy or a Victorian melodrama. And the fact that the case is unsolved gives its cultural longevity. Yeah. Lizzie Borden has been elevated to an American tragedy at the same level as the sinking of the Titanic. Whoa. So those who believe Lizzie murdered her parents have theorized for over a century about her potential motives, suggesting that she was abused by her father. She was tired of him being so frugal. Um, she was sick of him being strict in his rigid ways, and she was ready to inherit his wealth and yeah. stop living under his thumb. But none of these can be proven, adding to the mystery and mythology of Lizzie Borden. Dang. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her father 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, gave her mother for mother 41. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Still not familiar. That's weird. Maybe that's a weird. It is a nursery very weird and dark thing, but it's kind of like, like rockabye baby, which talks about a baby falling out of a tree. Yeah. You know, all nursery rhymes, all nursery are, rhymes are scary. So um, yeah. Um, weird. did you, did you, uh, I did. You came up with a detox question? Yeah, I Googled one. Oh, look at you. So we're going to transition to detox, which is the part of our show where we try and detox from all the horror Horrible. we just talked about and and from the drinks we just had. Yep. And we ask each other questions to get to know each other better. Um, uh, so I don't shot. think I've asked this one before, but this is one of my favorite questions to ask people. Okay. Um, in the movie of your life, who would play you? Yeah, we for sure have talked about this on the podcast before. We have? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Um, I said, I think your answer before, anyway, we can't talk You're about right. This was one of our questions. I remember questions. because I think I said Emma Stone. You said Emma Stone. Dang it. Um, I don't remember who I said, but yeah, you said Emma Stone. Uh, oh, wow. Let's think of another question. Um, true crimey. Hmm, I can't believe you haven't heard the what Lizzie do you, Borden. Uh, what do you think of all the load management they're doing with Kawhi? <laughs> What? You think what he's going to be ready mean? for the playoffs? Are you asking me a sports question? Yeah. That's absolutely the wrong question to be asking me. That's one of the lines that Ryan fed our friend who's he, on a first date here, or basketball. I'll, I'll tell you about an embarrassing injury. Okay. How about? Because I'll tell you how my mind went there. Okay. So my senior year of college, um, I lived in HVR with uh -huh. the girls, right? And we had two bathrooms. Um, the like sort of hidden bathroom was in Hillary's room. And I had been taking a shower in there and to get like you to get out of Hillary's room into our sunken living room to get back to the rest of the house. Oh, no. You had to go down like these two stone steps. Not high at all. It was just weird because you yeah. had to go into a sunken living room. So I'm in a towel. I've just showered. I'm trying to be like a frugal college student and like turn off all the lights behind me so that we don't have a super yeah. high utility bill. And but. I'm also like plunging myself into total darkness because oh I'm God. turning off these lights. Yeah. So in these, in these two steps, oh no. I managed to twist my ankle <gasps> and fall Ouch. into the sunken living room in nothing but my towel. So there's also like a front living room at this time. And there's a couple of my roommates out there and I hear them say, did you hear that? Which they like, someone had heard my like muffled scream. Yeah. And the other one was like, no, 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 it was just the TV. But I'm laying there like, writhing in pain yeah and so i but I naked but naked and i managed to like 
get on one foot and like hop back to my room and they finally are like, oh my gosh, what happened to you? I sprained my ankle so bad. Oh, it no. was black and <gasps> blue. So I had to like wrap it with whatever, yeah. like ace bandage tape for like a week. And whenever anyone asked me what happened, I'd be like, listen, all the sports and the sporting, you know, yeah. me. ball is life. Ball is life. <laughs> uh, oh, so that's my dang. most embarrassing injury. I don't think I have an embarrassing injury. I Ryan just pointed to my forehead. I told that story, we told last, that story last time. And that's, I mean, um, that's a adorable childhood. Anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very embarrassing, but I'll tell the story of how I broke my arm. Tell me. So I was in fourth grade and I was at my friend's house. Her name was, I guess, no, I guess it is was cause she's married now. Her name was Jordan broker. Mm-hmm. No joke. Her last name was broker. <laughs> um, and we thought it would be a brilliant idea. If I was on the razor scooter and she was pulling me with a hula hoop. That seems brilliant to me yeah. now. So somehow she like tried to turn and the razor didn't turn all the way. So I fell on my arm and broke my arm. Um, and then went home and told my parents, my, I think I broke my arm. It really hurts. And they were both like, no, you're fine. Suck it up for like a week. And then they were finally like, okay, fine. We'll take you to the doctor so that they can like prove to you that your arm's not broken. <laughs> it was broken. Well, Paul and Tootie. Yeah. It was broken. I can't remember if we've talked about that story in this podcast We have, before. but I don't know if it was on the podcast or not. Yeah, I can't. Like, I remember the story, but I'm like, was it recorded? You know what? If it was, you, you lucky cool. listeners are lucky enough to have heard it for the second time. And now you know. I Paul didn't and make it terrible up. terrible parents. Oh. Just kidding, Paul and Tootie. Paul and Tootie are the best. Parents. They are half, They're of, half our of our viewership. Our, 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 listenership. our listenership. We really yeah. appreciate you a lot. Oh my gosh, amazing. Well. My eyeball feels like it's about to pop out because I've got a migraine, oh, so I've got to go take I'm some sorry. Tylenol. Yeah, let's take so, uh, some. So let's you know, as a group, take some Tylenol. Let's take some Tylenol. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah, if you're on um Spotify, click that follow button. If you're on or, iTunes, subscribe. Oh. Give us five stars. Yeah, give us five stars and leave a review. You can say whatever you want in those reviews. Send but us some of your true crime stories to. Yeah. Uh. Let. LW LW true crime true crime at gmail.com at gmail.com or send us some detox questions because apparently we've run out of them we've run out 13 weeks in we're done yeah well this has been uh lightweight true crime that's Emily and that's Sarah cheers cheers Hello, that's Sarah. I'm sorry, we have to start over again. Your cat, <laughs> your cat is trying to nuzzle me, is trying to nuzzle me to death. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right, let's calm down. <sighs>